Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Benjamin Albright. He covers the NFL Draft in Denver, Colorado for the Broncos flagship station. And we'll get his thoughts on what the Chiefs should do in the draft and also talk about some of the top prospects as he joins us coming up in a little while from right now. Joining me, as always, is Thomas Bridges. Tom, we are now a month into the quarantine. How are you holding up, my friend? Oh, you know, I'm just uh, staying at home, making only essential trips to um, the convenience store and the liquor store. Um, Those are very essential. So that's how I've been holding up. Uh, I do have an N95 mask. A lot of people just have cloth masks. But I was lucky to stumble upon some N95s. So protection levels are at 100%. Now, I know that your your sister is a nurse. And uh, our nurse here on the show, our official uh, uh, nurse, uh, Mig, also is one, of course. Uh, where did you stumble upon an N95? You know, honestly, my mom found him somewhere. Um, so we all have one. Uh, you know, I know there's a shortage right now, but obviously one in the pool is not going to make a difference. So I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and keep this. I have a cloth mask too, but um, really the only place I've had to really wear. I went into Homeland yesterday to get some lime so i was in and out real quick uh i tried to do the grocery pickup but yesterday i looked at it just to even get a few simple items it was going to be i wasn't going to be able to get those till tuesday and that was yesterday thursday i thought well i'm gonna have to brave it and just go on in um so scrapped that bad boy up went in there felt you know above everybody else because I had an N95 and everybody else just had a cloth mask. People looked at me like I was kind of crazy, but you got to do what you got to do. Right. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, that's all it takes. You just got to, you know, man up of some sorts. Uh, so you got the N95. I have not worn a mask at all personally. Um, because the CDC told us two different things. Just, you know, what was it? Three or four weeks ago, they were telling us that the N95 mask was the only one that worked and, you know, not to buy a mask and such and how it wasn't going to help that much. Now they're telling us to buy masks that's going to help. I'm like, there's there's no way research could have changed, uh, you know, in just three weeks like that to go about that. So I'm not wearing a mask, but I'm not going out in public that much either. Uh, personally, just trying to be safe, and and uh, hopefully you all are being safe in this process as uh, we continue to uh, try to survive in this world without sports as we know it. And uh, the NFL is going to try to move on without uh, the normalcy that we know of the NFL draft as that begins in less than a week from right now on Thursday night as the NFL draft will be held uh, from the homes of uh, all the personnel in the National Football League. There will not be war rooms like we normally see. Um, All these coaches and GMs and scouts are going to be from their homes, in their basements. They're going to be doing the Zoom chats, just like Tom and I are doing right now. 
Roger Goodell is going to be announcing the picks from his basement. And I'm sure he has a very nice basement. Uh, I doubt Goodell is struggling by any means. Um, but it will be different than we've ever seen before. Even the broadcasters, I think Trey Wingo and Reese Davis, are going to be the only ones at the ESPN Bristol studio. Everyone else is going to be from home and doing things differently that way. And we've heard teams are very concerned about uh, hacking possibly going on, everything from from porn stars to other teams trying to hack the systems. But uh, they think that they can pull this off and get this done. There are nerves about it, but it will go on nonetheless in these uh, circumstances. And Tom... I'm glad the draft's going forward, uh, that we can still have this, but it is going to be very different. And I think that this is going to have an impact on the way this draft goes of who ends up where as well, because you don't have the visits that you normally see from these uh, players with these teams. Uh, You're not having much of the other teams talk to each other as they normally would. Communication's a little harder in these scenarios uh, that we're dealing with here. And so I think that you know the draft boards that you're seeing from the experts right now, there's a good chance those are completely different than the boards of uh, what the teams actually have themselves. This could be a very wild draft and a lot different than uh, what any of us are expecting of who ends up where. Right, and then and that was even mentioned um, from an NFL GM. Uh, there's a headline that reads: "NFL GM says media wronger than ever about mock drafts this season." Uh, for that fact alone, that the draft will be not your typical draft, and and so there could be a lot of surprises. And I, for one, I mean label me a bad person or whatever you want to do it. Um, but <clears throat> I for one hope there's a hack I hope we get something crazy on live TV that's just I hope they I hope someone figures out a way to troll them whether it be like a naked Roger Goodell on live TV where they transpose a naked body over Roger Goodell or even in his underwear when he's in his basement I really hope we get something funny that would be uh, something else. Uh, I wouldn't rule out the possibility of one of these teams trying to figure out hacking the system. You know that Bill Belichick has been on the phone with his IT guys trying to figure out ways to get involved uh, in that regard. Oh, you know we're going to see a hack gate. Oh, wouldn't that be would something? You call it? Would you call it a hack, hack gate? Would you call it Zoom gate? Would you call it quarantine gate? I want to I want to retire the term gate, but if we have to stick with gate, then I guess it would be Zoom gate. I love it. I hope it happens. Yes. Um, speaking, speaking of, I mean, I'm going to go on a, a small tangent. You know, we have the NFL draft coming up, but we also have the last dance, the Michael Jordan doc coming up this Sunday. So we're not completely without i mean we're without sports but we're getting some good you know we're getting some good quality content here and i'm glad this generation is going to be educated uh and see what jordan was really like um you know this uh this documentary uncensored right it's uncensored you're gonna see things we've never seen before um about this and get an idea of what these bulls teams were really like 
and how good of a player Jordan really was. Uh, Thomas and I both know that Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time. And anyone that says otherwise is not educated when it comes to the sport of basketball. Um, there's just no way that you can put LeBron. Right. There's no way that you can put LeBron or any of these guys in that same conversation, that same category. And so I'm looking forward to this of really educating the public on those last few years of the Bulls dynasty and how good Jordan and those Bulls teams really were. It should be fun to see. Um, but as far as this draft goes, um, you know, the trades and such, I think, are going to be interesting to see how those work out, um, how you're going to be able to get one GM on one team to communicate with another GM and his staff and how that could work out. Uh, all these teams, of course, are on limited time clocks to get these trades done. Uh, this sounds like it could be a mess, but Tom... If anything, I cheer for uh, disaster. I cheer for things to uh, go wrong and for craziness to happen. So if we have some errors of some sorts, if if uh, one team doesn't get a pick in in time, I think we had that a couple of years ago. It was like the Raiders had to forfeit a pick because they didn't get their pick in in time. Uh, all these different things, I am rooting for chaos in this draft. If anybody doesn't get a pick on time, I'm going to bet it's going to be the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien, oh, it would be par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping for chaos, too. It, it's, it's bound to happen at this point. Someone's internet's going to falter. Somebody's going to get their internet shut down, maybe by Bill Belichick. And, uh, and we're going to see this happen. That's another thing, too. What if, uh, you know, you have... Cox Internet or, you know, something like Spectrum or something like that, and, and all of a sudden the Internet company decides to do maintenance or the power goes out. Like, there's a whole lot of possibilities here that could happen that could make this thing a disaster. But I'm looking forward to it to see how it ultimately plays out and glad that we can still have this draft happen. Joe Burrow going to be the number one pick. He's going to play for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, it would appear now there's been signs, you know, point, pointing to people have talked about for months. Uh, if you're Joe Burrow, why would you play for the Cincinnati Bengals? And he's an Ohio kid. Um, we haven't seen him necessarily be enthusiastic about the idea f for playing for the Bengals, but I can't necessarily blame him either. Uh, the Bengals, even when they did have winning seasons, they weren't winning playoff games. Uh, and it's not just Marvin Lewis either. You go all the way back to the history of this franchise, and they literally have no postseason success of any kind uh, over the years. I mean, it has been uh, just such an average franchise, and it's in a small city uh, that's very cold. So I get that, why Joe Burrow might not be excited to play there. But um, even with these rumors of him maybe not wanting to play for Cincinnati and some of the stuff that's out there, we're already too late in the process. I think this marriage is going to happen between Burrow and the Bengals because if there was any signs that it wasn't going to, I think by now this pick would have been traded. Uh, you know, I think that Joe Burrow, he's a stand-up guy. He would have flat out told the Bengals at this point if he didn't want to play for them and pulled the Eli Manning card like he did with the Chargers. Um, but 
I, and, and things are different now compared to what they were even with Eli back in that 03 draft where um, there was a thought process at the time with the Chargers, well, maybe they could make Eli still uh, play for them or find a way through it or try to fight to the 11th hour. In 2020, everybody's pretty transparent. If Joe Burrow doesn't want to be a Bengal, then he's going to say so publicly. And uh, we have not heard that officially out, so I would assume that all signs point to that there will not be a trade of some sorts, that Joe Burrow is going to be the man uh, of the future for the Cincinnati Bengals uh, going forward. And and uh, being an Ohio guy and everything, uh, I think he'll immediately be uh, well-loved and received there with that uh, Bengals franchise, which really needs a face of the franchise. Tom, they haven't had a face of their franchise since really Ocho Cinco. Really, they haven't. I mean, AJ Green's been there. You know, Andy Dalton had a few good years, but other than that, they haven't really had anybody that was notable in the media. Uh, I guess Vontez perfect, but uh, that's not for the right reasons. Um, that being said, uh, I think he would have come out and said it. I don't think we're going to see an Eli situation. I don't see that out of Joe. He did say he's never, ever had a losing season, ever. Even in Pop Warner football, never has had a losing season. Isn't that uh, something? So I think there's a good chance that he gets his first. He's a winner. Uh, he's been a winner his whole career, Joe Burrow has. And I would expect nothing less uh, that he's going to bring in a new mentality to this uh, Bengals franchise, and he'll be the guy. As much as I like Joe Burrow, Tom, I don't think he's the best player in this draft, though. I think that title belongs to Chase Young. The edge rusher from Ohio State, unbelievable season. If he doesn't get suspended those two games, we might be talking about uh, Chase Young winning that Heisman Trophy last year, at least finishing in the top two anyway. He was incredible with the performance that he put up for Ohio State, carried that team on his back. Uh, I really like Justin Fields and some of the talent that Ohio State team had, but Chase Young was the guy. He was the best player in college football last year. And uh, I don't think you can miss on Chase Young. I will die on this hill right now. Whoever gets Chase Young, and it looks like Washington will with that number two pick, you cannot go wrong with Chase Young. I think they're in for a treat to get Young in that spot. Whoever ends up getting him uh, is going to be a lot of fun, and he's going to be a good pass rusher for a long, long time. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I, I think that he has the best player in the draft. Obviously, Cincinnati has has needs. Uh, you know, if Andy Dalton wasn't, you know, so mediocre, then I think they probably would take Chase Young. Uh, but, you know, for the Bengals, the fit seems right. Uh, I mean, second pick, it looks like the Redskins will get Chase Young. They kind of have their system in place. I'm sure they'd love to have Joe Burrow, but they've kind of committed to their current situation. Um, and so, uh, you know, kind of works out well for both the Bengals and the Redskins that it'll fall this way. Yeah, uh, it should be a lot of fun to see uh, Chase Young uh, in the NFL. And Ron Rivera uh, will be pretty happy to have him. And and also recommits uh, their uh, you know quarterback situation that they're sold on what they got there uh, from the pick they used last year in that spot to take a quarterback in the uh, first round like they did. Um, the other players I like in this draft, Tom, you know, once you get past the top two of Burrow and Chase Young, then things start to really open up a bit. 
And, and one guy that intrigues me, he's from right here down the road in uh, Olathe, Kansas, and that's uh, Isaiah Simmons. This guy can play safety. He can play linebacker. He can cover. He can blitz. He can do about anything you ask him to do. Uh, I think he's going to be electric in the National Football League. This is a guy that I think you can't miss on. Um, with what he was able to do at Clemson, uh, taking that defense to a whole nother level, the best defense in college football the last couple seasons, uh, Simmons is going to be a, a guy that's going to be a lot of fun to play in the league. Where do you think he's going to get drafted? I think he goes 10 at the latest, um, maybe fourth at the earliest. I think he's a top 10 guy. So what do you think about C.D. Lamb? I've seen reports of the Eagles trying to draft up on him. He's another kind of local guy to our general area. Uh, is he the best receiver in the draft? Uh, no, I don't think C.D. Lamb is the best receiver in this draft. Uh, I think that the best receiver in this draft is uh, Jerry Judy from Alabama. And uh, some people have Ruggs getting picked ahead of Judy. Uh, Ruggs was terrific there at Alabama as well. But his route running, his hands, um, this is a guy that I really like uh, that could have a dynamic career in this NFL. Um, but there's a lot of good receivers in this draft. You have Ruggs, Lamb. If I were to rank them, I would go number one with, uh, with Jerry Judy, two, CeeDee Lamb, Ruggs, three, Four, I'd go T. Higgins. Then five, I'd go Justin Jefferson. Uh, a lot of options there. And all five receivers of that group, Tom, have big game experience. All five of them have played in the college football playoff. And uh, I think that's uh, part of the big reason why those five have separated themselves is they've been on the biggest stages. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, I agree with that top five. I think C.D. Lamb and, and Judy could be interchangeable depending on a team's needs. Um, but for the most part, I, I agree with that top five. It is a deep wide receiver class, maybe one of the deepest, uh, which is funny to me why, again, Bill O'Brien traded Hopkins uh, and got you know a declining running back in Johnson. And then went went ahead and got an injury-prone Brandon Cooks from the Rams, which is appreciated on my end for a second-round pick. Uh, when you know the the talent level in this draft of wide receivers is so deep that you could probably find something equal. Right, right. That's a that's a great point, uh, Tom. When I look at the quarterbacks, when you get past Joe Burrow, who do you go next? Do you like Tua better, or do you like Herbert? I know that. Herbert didn't accomplish as much as Tua did in his career, uh, but he didn't have the injury issues that Tua did, and he still took a Oregon team from four wins two seasons ago, two seasons ago to a Rose Bowl championship. Uh, hasn't had those injury issues. Personally, I like Tua better. Um, I have questions about Herbert's accuracy. Uh, last season, his completion percentage was only fifty nine percent. Um, which quarterback do you like between the two? I like Tua as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that, what that injury, you know, what that ends up mounting to. I do see the Dolphins taking Herbert, though. Uh, even with their current quarterback situation, I see them taking uh, Herbert. I mean, maybe Tua, if he's available, I think the Dolphins pick is like, I think, is it 10th? The Dolphins pick um, at five. So I, I think 
oh, they pick at five, then maybe they trade back up. Maybe depending on who's there, maybe they take Tua. Um, I mean, I, I think I think it's without question that we could see these three quarterbacks, Burrow, Tua, and Herbert, off in the first ten or maybe fifteen. Yeah, and then uh, Jordan Love is uh, also going to be picked, I think, in that first round. I think you're looking at four quarterbacks picked in the first round. And uh, maybe a guy like Jalen Hurts slips in at the end of the first round. I wouldn't rule that out as a possibility of Jalen Hurts. Uh, the Patriots. Yeah, maybe uh, you know the Patriots, uh, You know they pick a little higher than they normally do. Maybe they trade back into the first round to get a guy like Jalen of some sorts. Uh, you know, that's certainly possible that they can make that happen, uh, but we'll see. Running back-wise, the running back position is interesting to me. Um, you have a lot of good backs, but you don't necessarily need to use a first-round pick on one. You got guys like J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, um, DeAndre Swift. I mean, there's a lot of variety of running backs, and what we've seen in the NFL, Tom, as of late, the running back position has been devalued of sorts. It's not what it used to be. You don't have to spend money on running backs long term. You're looking at them, uh, you know, if you get four or five years out of a running back, I think you're smiling ear to ear uh, if you can get that at this point in time and not have to pay a whole lot for them either. And I see those three backs should be taken in the second round. I would love to have any of those backs uh, if they're available. Uh, personally, I like Dobbins best. Uh, and then I would go, you know, Swift probably, and then Jonathan Taylor. But any of the three, I think I'd be happy to have on my team. And you get them in that second round, all three of those backs, I think, are capable of being starting running backs as early as this season. Yeah, I agree. And, and, if you know, a lot of the times you mentioned the running back position has been devalued, and that's very true. A lot of teams are doing the running back by committee. Uh, you know, if you can get you know two decent backs, maybe not Pro Bowl level backs, but if you can get two decent backs um, and work those in rotation and, and manage their minutes per se or carries, uh, then you're doing pretty well. And so. I could see one of those running backs going in the first round to a team who needs one or a team that is looking, you know, hey, we might not be able to get them in the second round. Uh, we need a back. Let's go ahead and punch the ticket. Uh, I'd like Dobbins uh, the best there and then Swift and then Taylor. Um, but, yeah, any one of those I would have be happy to have on my team as well. And then that yeah. being said, my team, the Rams, just dealt Todd Gurley. So, um Maybe we'll see the Rams uh, draft Dobbins or Taylor or Swift. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, they need another running back uh, now. Uh, what about a guy like Kenneth Murray? Uh, to me, this is a guy that had a lot of tackles at OU. He's incredibly built. And my big question is, looking at him and what he brings to the NFL, Tom, do you think that Murray benefited on being – on a team with a bad defense, uh, it looked like last season that he was the only good player. Um, this year, the OU defense was much better, but he was still by far the best player. Um, do you think that you know he's a top NFL talent, or do you think he just benefits from being on a team where he was clearly the best player? What is it? it was his stats uh, 
you know, inflated a bit, or do you think he really is that good? I really do think he is that good. Uh, OU is going to miss him severely, uh, thankfully. <laughs> um, that being said, I could see him going in the second round. Um, oh, he'll be a top 20 pick, uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, very rightfully so. I mean, I'm, I'm saying if no one takes the draw no later than mid-second round, I mean, he's he seems like he has a high football IQ. He was the leader of that defense. Um, I mean, a lot of people, especially at the middle linebacker position or at the linebacker position, usually you have your one of your team captains there. You know, reminds me of a Brian Urlacher of sorts. Um, so I, I think... I think he could be very dominant in this league. I, I, I'm I buying the Kenneth Murray. You see, I thought was of the belief, uh, you know, last season that he was a product of, you know, inflation, of not a whole lot of talent around him. But seeing how much that OU defense improved this year and that he was even better than he was a season ago, I like what Kenneth Murray brings to the National Football League, and he could be a guy that starts uh, immediately uh, for somebody and has a big impact right away uh, in the league. He could be a guy that uh, makes that's going to be a difference maker right away. Um, for the Chiefs pick, what they have there at uh, at the end of the first round, um, you know, I like those running backs as we mentioned, but those guys look like second round guys. So I don't think the Chiefs need to use that first pick. I could see the Chiefs trading back. Um, that might be the most likely scenario. But let me give you a couple names to watch for for the Chiefs. The first of those being Zach Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin. Um, this guy is a stud. He, uh, he moves around well, um, You know, a, a game changer of sorts. And we've seen what Wisconsin has been able to do uh, you know, over the years with the, you know, the physical talent they put out there. I think Zach Bond, if they can get him, that would be great. If they can't get him, my next choice for the Chiefs would be probably A.J. Terrell, the cornerback uh, out of Clemson. And with the Chiefs giving Bashad Breeland a new contract last week, they don't have to use a first-round pick on a cornerback. But Brett Veach, the GM for the Chiefs, this past week, he made it very clear. When looking at this team's future, he said that, look, 20 of 22 starters are back for the Chiefs next year. They draft the best available, and they're drafting for the next three or four years. They're not looking at finding guys to make an impact right away next year. They're looking to build depth and get ready for the future. And I think that uh, you know Zach Vaughn and A.J. Uh, Terrell both those guys, you look at the needs at linebacker and corner where there's not a lot of depth this year, both those guys could be names that they call upon as dependent players for that long term of that three or four year stretch that Brett Veach is talking about. Yeah, I think so too. And Chiefs are in a really great position, obviously having 20 of the 22 returning starters. So they have a lot of flexibility in my mind uh, to go where they see fit. There's not an immediate need necessarily anywhere. So if you can draft the best available, uh, then go by all means, go ahead and do it. Um, so you can build depth, you know, depth for the next three to four years. So, I, I mean, the Chiefs are in a position now uh, that it would be very hard for them to make a draft mistake. Yeah, I think they're uh, they're in good shape. Uh, they are going to 
at some point, not only draft those positions, but they will get a running back. Uh, they could get a wide receiver. They don't have to with bringing back their top four receivers from a season ago. Um, you know, they uh, do need help on the offensive line, those things. But uh, I think when you're looking at this Chiefs team, it's not things that are uh, – something that are overly concerning that you still feel pretty good no matter the situation for the Chiefs uh, when it's all said and done of the uh, players uh, that are uh, available to them in, in this situation of drafting at 32 is uh, a very good thing. Tom, uh, who are some guys that you think people should watch for? Who are some uh, sleepers you think in this draft? You know, I, I think one could be I don't know if you'd call him a sleeper or not, but I think Dobbins has the potential to be a really great back in the league. Um, as far as first round goes, I, I mean, I think CeeDee Lamb can make an immediate impact. I think Herbert will be also very well wherever he ends up. Well, you know, you mentioned his accuracy, uh, but I, I mean, I think he could be, you know, someone to really, you know, watch for if he, you know, if he gets a starting job. If he, you know, falls to the Dolphins or wherever he may end up, um, but I, I think those players could be really, you know, something different. Um, and and you know, we had already mentioned early on um, that hey, um, you know, this draft may be a lot different. We might have a lot more surprises um, than we usually do. Um, another guy, I think, maybe to watch for. Uh, would be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from uh, LSU. Yes. Uh, I could see him maybe going late second round, maybe early third round. The thing I, I like about like him he's got a lot of grit. is that he is a really good receiving back. I think he had a couple games last year where he had over 100 yards receiving. The Alabama game, he was one of the best receivers on the field for either team. Um, that's a guy that you think about Andy Reid's system where he loves to use the running back in the passing game. Case in point, Brian Westbrook there in Philadelphia. Darren um, Sproles. Darren Sproles type. You know, that's a good fit. Um, you know, I guess Doug Peterson would be the same way there in Philly would use that type of system. These West Coast slash spread offenses where they really use the running back in several different ways, that's where he could fit in. I like that. Um, what, what about some of these Big 12 guys uh, that could be sleepers? This Big 12, uh, you know, has been down the last couple of years in the NFL talent they've produced. But this year, the Big 12 is back to having a really good draft class. Uh, we mentioned some of those names like Kenneth Murray and Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb and, and uh, you, know, you know, Kenneth Murray, these other guys. But you go on down the line, TCU with... Ross Bladelock at the defensive tackle spot. Jeff Glandy, the uh, cornerback. Uh, you know, Baylor with Denzel Mims at wide receiver. TCU also with Jalen Rager at wide receiver. Neville Gallimore from OU. He'll be a top 40 pick more than likely here. Uh, there's some real talent that the uh, Big 12 has produced. In particular, Tom, of the names that we didn't initially mention, I think Mims and uh, and Rager are both going to be very good value receivers. Neville uh, Gallimore, I would be shocked if that guy, with as big as he is and how much space he takes up on the defensive line, uh, the former OU defensive tackle, I think he can easily have at least a 10-year career in this league. I think so, too. Another guy to mention would be A.J. Green from Oklahoma State at cornerback. 
I don't know how far he'll fall down, uh, but I think he gets drafted third or fourth round. Uh, Texas has a pair of wide receivers, Duvernay and uh, Colin Johnson. It's not Calvin, it's Colin Johnson, that's right. Um, That looks to be, you know, one of the top wide receiver picks. I mean, in a deep class, too. Johnson, if you remember, lit up uh, OU not last year but the year before and just had an outrageous game. Uh, there, are, there are several, you know, wide receivers in, out of the Big 12 this year that could really make an impact um, in this league. Chase Allen, I think, isn't it? It's, I think it's Chase Allen from Iowa State tied in. Yeah. Um, he could be pretty good. I remember, you know, watching him play and, and having to worry about him. Um, but, I mean, there's several several players out of the Big 12 that could really make an impact. And, and especially, like I said, like we mentioned, wide receiver, you mentioned CeeDee Lamb, uh, Jalen Rager, uh, the two out of Texas, Duvernay and Johnson. Uh, I mean... Denzel Mims. The, even B- the Baylor. class out of the Big 12. Yeah, Mims from Baylor. Yeah, I mean, this could... I mean, this is, uh, you know, deep wide receiver class, even out of the Big 12. Yeah, um, and other Big 12 players, uh, Jordan Brooks, the linebacker from Texas Tech, uh, Lucas Niang, the offensive tackle from TCU. I'm looking at all these TCU players, and how did TCU not win more games? How is this team, I know that they were in the Big 12 championship game, uh, it was like two years ago now, but how with this NFL talent that Gary Patterson produced, were they not winning at least eight games the last two seasons? That blows my mind how much NFL talent TCU actually had and didn't do really anything with it. Right. It might be the Delton factor. Uh, I mean, well, I guess it'd be Delton and then Dugan. And so we'll see how that fares out this year. But, I mean, maybe couldn't get him the ball. I mean, Rager had feasted on defenses, but still really couldn't do you that. Know, never manifested into something. Uh, I mean, you put Jalen Rager on the top top ten team, and you're talking uh, undoubted first round pick. Yeah, uh, I think so. And uh, I mean, that's going to cost him some money of some sorts. Uh, but a uh, great player and a lot of good talent. TCU just doesn't make any sense. Uh, but that's something to watch for is where these TCU players get picked because uh, I think OU is going to have the most players picked in the conference. But I would expect TCU to be second uh, with the players that they have available, uh, you go up and down the line, it's a really good bunch that Gary Patterson put together sending to the National Football League uh, for this uh, upcoming year. Last thing on the draft, Tom, uh, we, we said that in the Chiefs situation that they're fine, that they're building on depth. Who do you think needs to be aggressive? Who do you think needs to put themselves uh, in the best position in this draft to try to win immediately, uh, that they really need to take advantage of this thing to uh, really get this thing going? Who do you expect to really be aggressive, make some moves to try to affect the immediate future? I mean, I think it's got to be the Browns. Uh, I mean, you're looking at giving Baker another shot to to prove himself, and you had some pieces. You got rid of Freddie Kitchens, got a new coach. Uh, I, I think you tried to do your best to revamp what you can and, and run with it. I mean, if you look at that division, you're going to have Baker. You're going to have Big Ben possibly coming back. Uh, I mean, that's an all-time quarterback still, even with the injury. 
Uh, you're going to have Joe Burrow in that division, and then you're going to have the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I mean, as far as quarterbacks go, those are all, you know, potential great quarterbacks. Uh, and so I think my pick would, I would have to say the Browns. And uh, there's a rumor that the Browns are going to trade off Odell. It was looked at of him possibly getting sit to Minnesota for a second and a fifth round pick. Um, whether they get the deal done with Minnesota or not, let's just say that they trade him off and get a second round pick. That would give them five picks in the top 100 if they can get another second rounder for Odell. And based on what we've heard, whether the Minnesota deal goes down or not, I would be shocked if Odell Beckham is back with the Browns next year and if they don't get a deal done uh, you know, during the draft to get a second rounder for him of some sorts. Um, and obviously, if you lose Odell, you do have to draft a receiver. Uh, but they need the offensive line help. Uh, you know, personally, that was not working. I think Odell's a terrific talent, but that was just not a good fit in Cleveland this past season. I think you do have to move on from him. Draft an offensive lineman in the first round. Use one of those second-round picks. If you can get uh, send Odell off and get a second-rounder, go draft another receiver, and then figure out things from there. To me, that's where I look at for Cleveland is uh, they have to – if they're going to move on from Odell, they got to do it now. They got to get you know some decent value for him while they can, because uh, uh, I wouldn't quite say that he's got Antonio Brown written on him. But based on the way last season went and how things uh, you know went down there with the Giants as well, there's a pattern that seems to be following uh, Odell Beckham right now. Yeah, it does seem. It's, it seems. Not quite Antonio Brown, but the the notion is there. Uh, you know, he's a, what you would call a high-maintenance player. Uh, you know, a, definitely an attitude in the locker room, and if things aren't going the way he wants it to, then he starts acting like Terrell Owens. Uh, I mean, rightfully so, he's a great talent, but there are other talents just as good um, that aren't that personality of sorts. Uh, I mean, as a fan, if – if the Rams could give up their second round from Houston in a fifth round, I mean, bring him to L.A., uh, I mean, if that's the case. But, um, I mean, some team where he would end up fitting would get a steal for a second and a fifth, in my opinion. Uh, you mentioned it just work out in Cleveland, and sometimes it'd be like that. You know what I mean? Sometimes it like you know, as the kids say, sometimes it'd be like that. Um, and so, you know, whoever – gets him if it's a fit wherever he goes is going to get a steal but uh for the browns i think you're 100 percent right you have to move on and quick and, and if they can get some draft capital for him this draft then I, I think you have to make those top five you know five picks in the top 100 i, I think you got to capitalize yeah i think you do uh and then you have something to work with and uh, you can really try to build uh see what you can do this year i think the Browns, Tom, if they can get enough talent and with the guys that they already have, if they can turn that into a 10-win season, that would be a successful year. That could be promising for the Browns uh, about their future. But if they don't turn this draft and you know the talent they already have into 10 wins, then it's going to be time to start tearing up shop and do something differently because uh, clearly it wouldn't be working. Um, it seemed like last year the problems were, uh, you know, the Odell factor, the chemistry, 
and Freddie Kitchens. And now with Freddie being gone, you know, one excuse is out the way. You got to figure this out. So that's a good point there with the Cleveland Browns. We have a lot more to come here on the Jones Report today. As uh, we're in the quarantine without sports right now, uh, we're going to start a new power ranking series. We're going to do this every week. And uh, Tom and I each are going to have our own list and power rank something different every week until this quarantine ends. And this week, we're going to talk rivalries in all the sports, whether it's individual guys or teams, whatever it may be. We're going to each give you our top 10 rivalries in all of sports. That's coming up on the other side. But first, we're going to be joined by Ben Albright to talk more about the NFL draft coming up here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now from KOAA in Denver, Colorado, it is uh, talk show host and NFL Draft insider Benjamin Albright, who is back with us on the program once again. Ben, what's happening, man? Thanks for the time. Hey, man. Good to be back. Long time no here. Yes, it has uh, been a minute, my friend. Uh, we got plenty to discuss with this draft that's coming up in less than a week from right now. So let's start out with these circumstances. Very unusual with this virtual draft that's taking place due to the pandemic. Uh, this is going to be a lot different than anything we've ever seen before. Uh, but for all 32 teams, they're going through the same circumstance. Uh, what do you make of this situation that we're in right now and how these teams have to adjust accordingly? Well, obviously, you've got a, a hardship in a situation where uh, things are going to be a bit limited and the teams are going to have to adjust. This draft is going to be more successful, I think, for the teams that have prepared um, you know, for this eventuality and you know, have, have kind of uh, a, a better understanding of how to execute on the fly. You know, you're not going to have everybody in the same room able to, to work multiple things at the same time. And, uh, so you're going to have to have those eventualities prepared for ahead of time. Uh, otherwise, you're going to kind of get lost in the wash. Do you think uh, as far as preparedness goes, we're talking about the same teams that are usually towards the top, the teams like right here with the Chiefs and the Patriots and these, uh, you know, the, the Packers, some of these other teams that are uh, you know, the better run organizations being the more prepared probably for this type of situation? Well, you would think. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, it does take uh, having a well-run organization to win the championship. Uh, can't just do everything ad hoc. It doesn't work. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, teams that are more flexible, teams that are uh, are able to think creatively because, you know, again, you're not going to have everybody in the same room. You're not going to be able to just pick up uh, a phone and, and swing a deal and, and that kind of stuff. you got to do it all through the, the digital that they've set up, and that creates kind of a, you know, kind of a difficult process for someone who's not used to it. So uh, I, I would suggest the organizations that are more adaptable or valuable are probably in the best position, but uh, those tend to be the best run organizations. Right. Uh, I was reading today, Ben, that uh, you know, during these draft processes in the past of these pro days and workouts and you know the combine and such, that what happens a lot of times is these teams tend to talk to each other and uh, agree a lot, have some groupthink, uh, share the same opinions on players. Now with less of that, yes, you did have the combine, but not all the pro days and not all the visits that you're accustomed to where uh, draft boards could be very different team to team compared to what they normally are. Do you think that's what we're going to see come this uh, draft beginning on Thursday? I think you'll see some of that. Um, I, I think the main byproducts of this are you're going to see guys that have medical red flags get pushed down and go a little later than they normally otherwise would because teams can't be completely satisfied uh, with, with 
you know, knowing the medical makeup or workup on a personal level. Um, I think the other part of this is, you know, identifying talent is one thing, but you've also got to identify the guys that uh, fit your locker room well, that, that want the NFL, that are they're going to be, uh, you know, aggressive workers at their craft versus use the NFL to fund an opportunity for them for the future. And so, you know, you want to be careful that you're not investing heavily in a guy that's uh, just kind of doing this as something to make money in the interim. Um, it's, it's the difference between drafting a, a quarterback that uh, that wants to be in the NFL for 15 years and a, and a guy like Paxton Lynch, who this was just kind of a hobby for him. Right. That's a great point. Uh, we're joined by Benjamin Albright uh, right now talking NFL draft for the Chiefs. Uh, they're bringing back 20 of 22 starters from last year's Super Bowl championship. What do you see as the needs uh, that this team needs to cover in this draft? I think they just need to, to continue to acquire depth. You know, I think that you're at a point where you, you have a chance to make uh, a run in year two. A lot of teams aren't even afforded that opportunity because of their roster construction and where they are in the window. Uh, you've got Pat Mahomes still on the rookie deal, so you need to try to acquire as much depth as possible because soon you're going to have to pay Pat Mahomes, and that's going to skew your entire roster construction under the salary cap. So uh, if I'm Kansas City, I continue to try to, try to develop guys. And, uh, I understand that there's going to be some veteran uh, presence that will be leaving over the next couple of years. We want to make sure that we're prepared for that eventuality continue this championship window as long as we can. That's a, that's a great point, uh, trying to keep the window as long as possible. And and uh, it seems like that you know corner and linebacker are probably the two biggest things that uh, they'll be looking at for this draft. But hearing from Brett Veach uh, yesterday uh, reassured your point. He was saying that, uh, that this team is going to be drafting for years to come, for the next two or three years is their focus, not necessarily next year. And those needs... Uh, you know, for the down the line could be bigger than just those positions that appear to be uh, the primary focus. Well, right. On paper, you know, you would say, okay, yeah, quarter appears to be a huge need, but uh, they're looking at it as more than just this season. They're looking at it as another four to five year window and uh, how they're going to be able to compete through that. So I think that's the smart way to look at it. I think that, you know, the, the outlook is on more than just, hey, we need to, you know, try to try to repeat our success from last year. It's, hey, we need to try to sustain this success long term. It's smart general managers are trying to do that. They uh, hold the 32nd pick in the first round. Do you expect the Chiefs to hold that pick or possibly to trade down and get multiple picks in this uh, later on? I think it depends on who's there at that pick. Uh, if they've got somebody they've identified that they're very comfortable with, I think they'll make it. If not, uh, then trade back. Sure, why not? Multiply the picks. Get uh, get more picks into next year and, and, and work on a, a framework in which you can sustain this thing. Once you once you have to pay Pat Mahomes that money that you're going to have to pay him, it's going to be very difficult to pay some of these other positions. And so you're going to have to have rookie contract probably guys that pass rusher corner things like that so uh, if you can roll those picks into the future that's going to be very beneficial who's going to be available there at 32 if they were to uh hold that pick who do you see as uh being some options there for the chiefs uh well you know if you're looking corner and i think that's the direction they'd probably be leaning i would say guys like aj terrell or jeff gladney uh perhaps trayvon diggs might be there um I would suggest those guys would be guys that you'd uh, have to take a heavy look at and make sure you believe in. And if they're your guy, you, you know, you draft them and, uh, and hope they develop into what you think they can be. 
All right, let's talk uh, about the uh, draft as a whole. Uh, I know the everybody knows that uh, Joe Burrow is going to be that number one pick there to uh, Cincinnati. It would seem. What exactly is a Burrow bringing to this uh, Bengals franchise and their uh, young head coach and Zach Taylor? Well, you know he's he's got the pedigree of being an Ohio kid, so he brings kind of an excitement about the team as far as that goes. In terms of being a player, you've got a guy with strong leadership, uh, the championship mentality, a guy who's coming off success as a starter, um, you know, pretty staggering success as a starter, albeit in a limited time frame at LSU. Um, you know, he's, he's a little bit... Uh, a little bit more athletic, but overall compares favorably to uh, to Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, a guy who can get things done, can put up the numbers. Um, you know, you might want some receivers that maybe have uh, some elite talent around him. But uh, you know, other than that, I think he's a guy who's capable of of elevating the talent. Like I said, he's he's kind of a more athletic Matt Ryan, which you know is a pretty good thing to be. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, that is. How does Joe Burrow, as this number one pick, compare to? other quarterback prospects uh, that you've looked at in the past that have uh, been this number one selection? Where does he fit among the mold uh, already as far as the way you've evaluated him so far? Well, he doesn't have the elite arm strength. Uh, you're not going to see him like Josh Allen throwing the ball up 70 yards down the field, uh, but he's got enough arm strength to play at the NFL level. Um, you know, I don't think that uh, he, he doesn't have the, the long-term resume or the long-term sustained success, but at the time he was out there, he certainly played very well. Uh, I would say overall, he's probably uh, one of the better quarterbacks that uh, that we've evaluated, at least in terms of his floor. He's probably not going to be a bust on any level. The question is, how high is his ceiling and uh, how long does it take for him to get there? Uh, the next uh, guy that that should be picked, uh, or at least within that top three anyway, for sure, is uh, Chase Young, the edge rusher out of Ohio State. Terrific player. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Ben. I No disrespect to Joe, but I think that Chase is the best player in this draft, uh, although he'll be picked uh, likely there at two. What do you think of Chase Young and what he brings to the National Football League? Well, yeah, he'll either be picked two or three. Probably is the best player in this draft, um, you know. But the problem is the quarterback position is so much more impactful overall that those guys tend to get pushed up, even when they may not necessarily deserve it overall. Um, you know, Chase is Chase the monster. I don't know that he's necessarily going to go to Washington. Could go to Detroit, uh, but I think one of those two will take him. Uh, the question is whether or not Washington, who has quite a few good edge rushers already, passes on that for maybe an Isaiah Simmons. Uh, but I don't know that uh, I, I don't know if you're Ron Rivera if you can do that. You may just have to take the edge rusher, the most talented player in the draft. Yeah, uh, you, you just might have to. Uh, quarterback wise, once you move on from Burrow, where do you go from there, Ben? Are you uh, higher on two, or are you higher on Justin Herbert, or or maybe even someone else? I think Justin Herbert's probably going to have the best NFL career. Uh, out of most of them, Tua, um, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, you talk to people about Tua, and, and you get two camps that are wildly divided. You know, you've got some people that think he's going to be the next coming of Steve Young, and then you get another group of people that say that he's more brittle than Pat White. Uh, and you know, there's something to that. He's been injured every year that he's played football, dating back to high school, a different injury each time, and so. Uh, there, there are concerns there with that, and you know what kind of offense does he fit into in the NFL? Because he had so much talent around him in Alabama. So, um, you know, I think there are questions about too. If you're satisfied with those, then then you take him. I think Justin Herbert has a bright career in the NFL. I think he's kind of a more polished Josh Allen. So, 
Uh, I, I, if it were me, I think I would take Herbert, but I can understand the argument for Tua. Where do you see uh, it playing out? I know that you like Herbert better than Tua. Do you think? Uh, uh, how do you think that order plays out where teams select? Uh, I know that Miami's there at five, looking at a quarterback too. Uh, do you think that those teams will follow suit and go ahead and go with Herbert, or do you think that Tua comes off the board first? I think it's probably going to be Tua at five and Herbert at six. Um, you know, unless one of those teams trades up with maybe the Lions, I think that's the way it's probably going to go. Uh, Miami's kind of been on Tua for a while, even though they've put out smoke about other guys. So I, I think that's where he's going to wind up. All right. Uh, what about the other quarterbacks? How many do you think get selected in uh, this first round? I think Jordan Love's the only other one in the first round. Could go uh, could go pretty high. Uh, we've kind of pegged him in the top 14, but we'll see. Could be could could be a guy that slips a little later to the end of the first. Uh, the Patriots have been kind of doing their homework on him uh, amongst other teams, but um, – I don't think any other quarterbacks get into the first round. I don't think you're going to see Fromm or Easton or, or Jalen Hurts. I think those guys are mostly day two guys. Uh, so you're, you're probably looking at four quarterbacks in this first round. What about uh, Jalen Hurts? Uh, we know that he uh, had a good finish to his season getting into the college football playoff at OU, taking two different teams to the playoff with Alabama there as well. Uh, what's his outlook look like for uh, the National Football League? Do you think he can play quarterback at a high level in this league? Well, he's going to get the opportunity. Um, you know, I think that there are concerns at Alabama. He never really showed that he was developing into a, a competent pro-style passer. Uh, there are concerns that maybe that that system at Oklahoma that's, that's put out some great quarterbacks a couple of years in a row might have might have helped him a little bit. Uh, kind of a, it looks like a one-read-and-run guy. But that doesn't mean he can't develop into something else. Um, I, you know, I, I think the, the best thing that could happen to Jalen Hurts is falling to a team like Baltimore where he can sit there and, and have an OC that can cater to him and back up Lamar Jackson, see what it takes to succeed at the NFL level, and then maybe move on from there. But, um, you know, the NFL being what it is, dream scenarios don't always happen. Um, I think he's going to be drafted probably in the third round, and, you know, and we'll see if he's able to take on whomever he, uh, whatever team he goes to, take on that starting role and take it away from the incumbent. Yeah, uh, we'll see what, what happens there. Do you think that uh, another position might be better for him? Do you think he is an NFL quarterback, or is he better suited switching to, to running back or tight end or another position of some sorts? Well, I've kind of molded that over. I think if it were me, I would try him at quarterback first to make sure that that works or doesn't work and then worry about the position change. I always hated changing a guy's position before you really gave him a fair shot. I mean, uh, you know, there have been over the years, there have been several guys that, uh, you know, made the switch or didn't make the switch before they got a fair shake. And, you know, if, if, um, the pundits that had it right, Russ Wilson might even be a running back right now. So, you know, I think uh, give him a shot at his natural position, see what he can do first, and then worry about the change after that. Right here in the uh, Kansas City area, a lot of people excited about Isaiah Simmons. He was so great uh, at Clemson with what he was able to do there uh, with, with Dabo and company, and, and now uh, off to the National Football League where it looks like he'll be a top-10 pick. What is uh, Simmons' ceiling uh, as an NFL player? How good do you think he's going to be? Look, this guy's a limit. He's got whole world athleticism. He's great coming downhill. Um, you, you can kind of move him around as a chess piece. Um, he's great going away from the ball in coverage. I think he's a guy that you need to have a plan for. You got to have a specific plan for him. Uh, you might get overwhelmed with the possibility, but 
you know, he could go as high as two in this draft if Ron Rivera thinks he's the next Luke Keekley, put him back there, middle linebacker, and, uh, and let him go. Uh, he, I think he could go as late, maybe, as the Cardinals uh, at eight. I think he'd be a great fit over there. You know, Vance Joseph's defenses tend to have problems covering the tight end. I think he helps alleviate that. So, uh, But he's, he's definitely an all-world caliber player, and uh, he's going to go very early in this draft. Yeah, uh, I, I think so, too. Uh, what about your uh, your sleepers in this draft? Who are some names to keep an eye on that maybe we're not talking about right now, Ben? Oh, you know, there's a running back, A.J. Dillon, out of Boston College. He built like Derrick Henry. It might be a little bit faster. Uh, you know, I think he could be something in this league. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple of receivers out there. I think uh, Antonio Gandy Golden out of uh, Liberty has got a big body, and you know, if you're looking for a contested catch guy, he could, uh, you know, he could be something. And uh, on the defensive side, maybe uh, Parnell Motley, a corner out of Oklahoma, not getting a whole lot of run, despite the fact that he, you know, he shut a lot of guys down. Seven of the 15 guys he faced this year, which were wide receiver ones, didn't even register a yard. So, um, you know, I think that uh, I think people are sleeping on him as a take three corner. Who are uh, some guys that maybe are getting too much love that you're not quite as high on maybe as some of the others, Ben? Well, you know, the two-way injury thing certainly scares me. Um, you know, if I were a general manager, I'd be hesitant to stake my job on that. Um, I, I, a lot of people love C.D. Lamb. I, I thought he got schemed open a little bit. It's not to say he's not a, a good receiver. I just, I'm just i not sure he's as good as some of the other top guys that are being mentioned there. Um, you know, who else? I, I, I just... Offensive tackle position, you know, you you look at the uh, five, six, seven guys that they have uh, as potential first rounders. I you know I think Isaiah Wilson might be better suited at guard. So, um, you know, I, I I don't know that I would put him at tackle. But uh, you know, this draft is is actually pretty good. I don't think there's anybody that's just got a boatload of hype that's that's getting blown out in that proportion. Uh, tell me this: uh, when you look at positions, where are the uh, deepest positions in this draft uh, with the most talent, uh, comparably speaking? Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Um, I, I think it, if you're looking for starters, um, then I would suggest the offensive tackle position. You probably have uh, seven, eight guys that, that'll probably be starters in this league. Uh, if you're looking for guys that are contributors, I think wide receiver is probably the most most obvious. Uh, you got two, three guys that are at least there at the top, and then a bunch of guys in the middle there that at least get rotational work uh, in the NFL. You probably 20, 25 guys that, that could you know be 40-catch, 400-yard guys in the league, uh, wide receiver four types. So, um, you know, I, I think those are the two best. What about uh, weakest positions? Where is there uh, not as much thereof uh, in, in this year's draft? Well, quarterback, you got you know three, maybe four guys. Uh, I think that are starters at the NFL level. Um, running back isn't exactly loaded, although that's not really a priority position anymore in the NFL. I think the corner position is interesting because I think Akuta's you know a, a surefire you know prospect. But after that, uh, there's there's a, there's a bunch of guys that you might take a chance on as uh, you know rotational corners, but it doesn't really seem like any surefire starters. I'm not the biggest C.J. Henderson fan. I'm not the biggest Christian Fulton fan. I think those guys are decent, but you know I don't think they're CB1 in the NFL. So uh, I, I would say corner is probably one of the weaker, um, at least in terms of starting caliber talent uh, groups this year. Team-wise, uh, when when you look at this uh, this draft, who do you think 
could be the most aggressive uh, when it's all, all said and done? Who do you think is going to go out there possibly to make the more moves to really uh, just try to um, you know, possibly maybe some trades and such or you move up down the line? Who could be a good fit there to uh, you know, really take advantage of this draft in that way? Well, at the top, I think Atlanta would like to move up. Tampa would like to move up a little bit. The Broncos might even do that. Uh, I think if you look at the draft as a whole, uh, teams like Miami, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, I, I think those teams are prime position to be able to, to kind of move around. I know the Browns are interested in moving down, uh, at least initially off at 10. That might make them more aggressive in other rounds. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think those, those three teams are probably your best bet. I think uh, one question that's on everybody's minds is, uh, what's New England going to do in all this? Do you think that they uh, uh, are going to go forward with uh, with going to get a quarterback, or, or do you think they're buying into Stidham? Uh, what, what's kind of their situation uh, right now with the the Patriots? I think they're just looking to see what's available when they pick. I think they're looking to improve their receiving core a little. Uh, they could certainly stand to do that. Um, they've got some guys that are aging that they're going to need to replace. So I think it's just a, a question of who falls in their lap. I think they're going to end up being more reactive than proactive in this draft. And uh, you might just get lucky and have uh, have one of the better players fall in their lap and go from there. Here in the uh, AFC West, uh, we, we mentioned the Chiefs uh, are in good shape uh, for their future and looking to add depth and everything. Uh who do you think with uh, when this draft is going when it's finished? Who's going to be the biggest threat uh, to the Chiefs in the AFC West this next season and, and really the next several seasons? Who's got the who's going to be coming out best besides the Chiefs in this division when this is all said and done? This uh, this draft, Ben. Well, I think I think it depends on the development of Drew Locke, but I think Denver's probably that answer. Um, you know, Denver's got a pretty complete defense that, that played pretty well last year. Um, Locke looked pretty good in his final five games. His lone loss was to Kansas City in that Blizzard game, where you know Papa Holmes and Travis Kelsey were the only two players that could seem to find their footing. Um, you know, I think uh, if, if the Broncos can continue to build an offense around Locke, they might have a they might have a shot. They've, they've lost so many in a row to Kansas City; it's tough to track. You, know, you go look at uh, the other two teams in division. Obviously, the Chargers are a state of flux. They have to move it on for Phillip Rivers. I'm not sure that you know, Tyrod Taylor or a draft pick is a team to threaten Kansas City. And then uh, Oakland uh, now going to Vegas, still trying to figure things out. The defensive side of the ball still needs work. Um, I don't think they think Derek Carr is the long-term answer at quarterback. I think they're looking to move on from him. So, uh, you know, the, the Broncos finished second in that division last year despite the slow start. I, I think they're probably primed for another number two finish this year. All right. Well, Ben, uh, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us, man. Where can people see uh, all your draft coverage the next couple of days, man? Uh, well, you know, it's on uh, on KOA, the flagship of the Broncos here in Denver, or Pro Football Network is where I try to post all the written stuff. So hopefully they enjoy it. Awesome stuff. Ben, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Take care. Big thanks to Benjamin Albright for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. And as we fill the void of sports in our lives, we remember the good times that we once had, and that was rivalries in sports. And so uh, for the next several weeks, we're starting a new series here on the Jones Report as we uh, power rank some of the best sports rivalries of all time. And Thomas and I each have a list, and uh, we'll go through it one by one. And uh, so, Tom, let's go ahead and get started. Let's uh, let's start from the bottom up. Um, number 10, 
who's number 10 on your list, Tom? Number 10 on my list. I, I'm going to have to go with uh, Rafael Nadal versus Roger Federer as far as top 10 rivalries in all the sport. I mean, that's been going on for a long time. Both uh, have had, you know, equal accomplishments in their careers, and every time they end up meeting. We might not ever get to see it again, uh, but I did get to watch the last matchup a few years ago, and I was up till like 7 a.m. watching it. Uh, and just with Wimbledon canceled this year, uh, just breaks my heart just a little bit because the clock's running low on both players. But as far as all-time versus each other, that's got to be 10 on my list. They've had some great matches over the years, and even non-tennis fans or casual tennis fans tune in when those two get together, and uh, it's been fantastic. I have them on my list, but a little bit higher than you. Number 10 on my list, Tom, uh, I'm going with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. Um, they've had some great matches over the years. Uh, you know, Tiger's obviously had the better end of the stick but Phil has been, uh, in that stretch, the second most popular golfer. For a while, it seemed like they didn't like each other. They did that pay-per-view match a couple years ago, and it was awesome. Went down to the end. Phil ended up winning it. and uh, So i got to go Tiger and Phil as a number 10 on my list. Number 9, I have what you mentioned there, Roger Federer and uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, the great history that those two have. Um, you can't not have that in your top 10 uh, but because it's tennis, uh, I think that's what holds it back from being any higher. Uh, you know, just that it doesn't have that same allure, maybe, as some of the uh, team rivalries that are on those lists that have so much history that go back so much further. Um, who's number nine on your list, Tom? Jones, I'm going to go OU Nebraska. Ooh. And, you know, it's not been as prevalent recently, obviously, but back in the 90s, this was one to be talked about maybe in the same realm as a few other college football rivalries that we have today. Uh, OU Nebraska, that goes back, uh, you know, a long ways, uh, all the way back to the Big A. And so that is number nine on my list. Uh, OU Nebraska, that's a good one uh, between those two. Uh, I did not have OU Nebraska on my list, though. Um, that was one, time that... We didn't really see a whole lot of in our lifetimes. They didn't play every year when the Big 12 formed. And then Nebraska wasn't the same team that they were in the 90s. And so I think if we're having this discussion in the 90s or in the 80s, um, this would probably be in the top 10 of everybody's list. But it just hasn't been relevant uh, in the last several years. So that's why I don't have OU Nebraska on my list at all. Um, number eight. You go ahead, Tom. Who do you have for number eight? Number eight, number eight, I'm going to have to go um, with Alabama-Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Okay. You care to elaborate on that? Uh, I mean, you know, with the kick six and uh, just just recently, I mean, both teams have had pretty good success. Obviously, Alabama more so, but uh, I feel like that one is always a matchup to be watched every year. And, uh, you know, that's uh, I wouldn't put it any higher than eight. Uh, and it could have been as far as 10 on my list, but it did make my top 10. Uh, that's a great rivalry. I love the Iron Bowl. It seems like it's a classic every year, but it didn't quite make my list. I do have an Alabama rivalry on this list, but not that one. 
Um, but I do love the Iron Bowl. It's must-see TV every single year. Number eight on my list, I'm going with the oldest rivalry in the NFL, that being the Packers and the Bears. Um, I know that they neither won. These games have been as relevant as they were, but um, you know the Packers, I believe, have won, I think it's 17 of the last 21 matchups against the Bears. It's unbelievable what their record is as of late. The Packers have owned Chicago. Um, but you go all the way back to the early days of you know the, the 40s and the 50s, and the days of Bart Starr to the 85 Bears, uh, I mean, just on and on again. This has been a great rivalry that's you know close to each other, too. It feels like a college rivalry, even though it's a you know pro football rivalry. And the names that have been a part of this, uh, from the coaches like Ditka to Lombardi uh, to nowadays uh, with where we're at now, uh, I mean, it continues to... Uh, be great uh, over the years. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, obviously Brett Favre, um, you know, to Dick Dick Budkiss, to Brian Urlacher, continuously time and time again, that rivalry's had some great talent and great coaches over the years. Uh, number seven on my list, Tom, this is uh, the only team sport that I have an individual rivalry. And I have Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And the reason why I put them instead of uh, Colts Patriots is because of the days that Peyton Manning had in Denver, where it seemed like he just picked up right from where he left off in Indianapolis, where they were so competitive and you saw uh, you know, Peyton Manning beat Tom Brady in an AFC championship playing for the Broncos. And, uh, you know, just what they did there, the, the games back and forth, it really seemed like Tom Brady had Peyton Manning's number there for a while. But Peyton did a good job down the stretch getting to two Super Bowls with Denver, going through New England along the way. Um, these were the two best quarterbacks of our generation. And uh, it seemed friendly. They like each other. But it was always must-see TV when these two got together. And uh, it always meant something. Even the regular season games were a big deal when these guys played. So i got to go Brady and Manning, number seven on my list. Who you got at number seven? Number seven, Jones, I'm going to swap you here. Um, I'm going to go Packers-Bears at seven for the same reasons that you had mentioned previously, just the one spot higher. Uh, as far as Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, that was actually going to – that was just on the bubble of my list. I Okay, that's good. Uh, that, I, I like that right there. Uh, number six, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the floor first. Who do you have for six? Jones, my number six, I'm sure I would imagine you have this on your list somewhere too. I'm going to go OU Texas at number six on my list. The Red River Rivalry is what it should be called, not no, any the, variation. No, it should be called the Red River Shootout. Okay, I was going to mention the Red River Rivalry or the Red River Shootout, and any other variation is not correct. Man, some great games over the years in the Red River Shootout. Um, and then to factor in the Texas State Fair involved, um, I mean, the atmosphere is unlike any other. And the fact that the fans are divided at the 50-yard line uh, is so unique in itself as well. Uh, I love the Red River uh, Shootout. Uh, it's must-see TV every year. Tom, what I would say, the only thing that holds this rivalry back 
is the fact that Texas has not been relevant in the national scene the last you know ten years. There's been some good games, and Texas has still won a decent amount of these games. But Texas's lack of presence as a national power has set this rivalry back just a little bit. Yeah, I mean Texas has, in air quotes, been back air quotes for however many given years, but they just haven't lived up to their end. I mean, now I know last year, uh, you know, they they didn't win, but the year before they flip flopped on wins in the in the first game and then in the championship. Um, and, and never so often Texas will best OU, but it's just still not. You know, Texas drops another few games along the way, and so it's not what it once was. Right. Uh, I do love OU Texas. I have it a little bit higher on my list than you do, uh, but we'll get that in a bit. Number six for me, Tom, I got Steelers-Ravens. A fantastic rivalry between these two teams battling out for the AFC North, and it's had title implications. Um, The Ravens joined the league, of course, in the 90s, and since then they've won two Super Bowls. The Steelers have won two Super Bowls since then. Uh, they both have been to numerous AFC championship games over the years. It's physical. It's hated. Uh, the players to this day don't like each other. Um, ask Heinz Ward about the Ravens, and he's not going to have something nice to say. Ask uh, you know Ed Reed or Ray Lewis about the Steelers, and they're not going to have anything nice to say. I mean, this rivalry means a lot to both these teams. Uh, it's in prime time. At least one of the two games is every year. The atmospheres in Pittsburgh and Baltimore both are incredible. And it's physical, tough football. Um, they play this game the way it's supposed to be played. This is a defensive-minded rivalry. It has an identity to it. And I think that's the thing that speaks most volumes about this rivalry, Tom, between the Steelers and the Ravens, is the fact that it has an identity of defense and strength. Um, You can't say that about very many rivalries over the years that a style of play actually helps define that rivalry. Yeah, I mean, Steelers-Ravens is always a must-watch game. I almost put this in my top ten, specifically, you know, just because of the history between these two teams. I mean, it almost feels like a playoff matchup each time they play because it is so heated. Uh, between both these teams. So almost made my list. Definitely uh, a great one no matter where you want to put it. Yeah, number five on my list. Uh, I got to go Alabama-LSU. This has been the biggest game in college football the last 10 years. Uh, 2011 was the game of the century in college football. And then this 2020 game was incredible uh, between these two teams. Uh, I mean, just, you know, you had Joe Burrow playing the game of his life, which clinched him the Heisman Trophy that day. 2011, it was one versus two. It went to overtime. It wasn't a pretty game. LSU won nine to six. Uh, but you know Alabama went on a stretch where they just dominated. Ultimately, Les Miles lost his job at LSU because he couldn't beat Alabama. Um, the things this rivalry has holding it back, though, is that although they do play each other every year, their history is really a recent phenomenon. And also, Alabama, for the most part, has owned this series as of late as well. Um, but because of the magnitude of how much it means to college football every year, you can't not have Alabama LSU on your list, Tom. You know, it almost made my list. It feels more, it feels bigger here of recently 
just because of LSU's recent success. It'll be interesting to see what your boy Ed O does and maybe without a few others. But, uh, I mean, LSU, I think, could be here to stay, uh, kind of putting themselves up there with the Ohio State's, the Alabama's, the Clemson's, the OU's. Uh, of one of those teams that maybe we see make it every year. I guess it'd probably be flip-flop. It would be, honestly, LSU, Alabama, or Georgia from the SEC, and, and maybe two of those, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, so that is that is a great one, and I think we haven't even seen the best of it yet. Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Who's number five on your list? I'm going Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Ooh. I'm switching it up, doing a little soccer, a little football I like on it. you here. I mean – those those fans, you know, we talk about football fans here getting rowdy and getting unruly. Uh, when it comes to football or soccer, uh, I mean, it's a whole nother level. I mean, uh, I mean, those arenas, those stadiums get lit. Um, and Real Madrid and Barcelona have have been at each other's throats for longer than I can remember. Yeah, those two uh, have been at it uh, for a long time. I think that if we were in a different part of the world, uh, that's probably number one on our list. Um, you know, those two. But you know, soccer doesn't have the same effect here in America, obviously. But uh, they've had some great matches over the years and and uh, many years to come, and a lot of money spent between those two franchises. Number four on your list. Who do you have, Tom? Number four. I'm going to say number four has got to be the Cowboys versus the Redskins. I mean, we see this game twice a year, once on Thanksgiving, usually. Um, I, I mean, the Redskins have been shit lately. Uh, actually, shit for a while. But just the game itself, what it means when it's played, uh, I mean, this – if you are a Cowboys fan, you hate the Redskins maybe more so than the Eagles. That was going to be a flip-flop pick there for me as well. Uh, recently, it's been Cowboys-Eagles because of the team success compared to the Redskins. But Cowboys-Redskins goes back forever. Yeah. They, um, and that's that's why it's got to be four on my list. They have a long history. Those two teams do. Uh, the Cowboys and the R-Words do. Um, but, I mean, the R-Words haven't been relevant in forever. And so that's why it's hard for me to put that on my list is um, they've been so bad. Even the Cowboys – um, I know that they've had you know teams with winning records and they make the playoffs, but what have they done? Uh, for our lifetimes, Tom, it's been an interesting regular season game, but they're not meeting in the playoffs. They haven't met that often where it actually means something more. So that's what holds me back. Uh, it's a good rivalry, and there's hatred between those two teams. Uh, I mean, you can't be a fan of Washington and be in like Dallas or vice versa. So that's a good one there. Number four on my list, I'm going with Duke in North Carolina in college basketball. Um, you know, it's must-see TV every time these two teams get together, uh, whether it's, you know, in UNC or at Duke, whether it's at Cameron Indoor or at the Dean Dome. Uh, it's amazing. Even this year, UNC was bad. They were down this year, and they still had two great games with Duke this past season. And, you know, Duke is the more glamorous program. They get more attention. But under Roy Williams, uh, UNC in Roy's tenure has won more national titles, more ACC titles, and more games than Duke has. 
and they've been one of the most successful programs in all of college basketball. And the names that have come through there, everything from Michael Jordan to Tyler Hansborough to J.J. Redick to Zion, you know, uh, Christian Leitner, up and down the line, uh, the history of talent, the coaching from uh, Roy Williams to Coach K to Dean Smith, um, to me, uh, Duke, North Carolina, you can't talk rivalries without mentioning Duke, North Carolina, Tom. Yeah, and I should probably revise my list and swap OU Nebraska for UNC Duke. Uh, made that kind of on the fly. Um, so if we were going to go 11 instead, that would still be uh, – would, that would definitely be on my list. Um, probably misplaced a few there making this quick list. But, yeah, that's definitely on my list as well. Who's number four on your list? So I guess four would have been Cowboys Redskins, but I would be glad to swap that for UNC Duke. Um, I guess we'd be on number three now. Okay, who's number three? And for number three for me would have to be the New York Yankees versus the Boston Red Sox. Okay, uh, I mean that's kind of self-explained. Yeah, and uh, I mean there's hatred there. Uh, you'd go, of course, all the way back to the curse of the Bambino, uh, however many years ago, to where we are now. And the recent history, the Red Sox have been better than the Yankees have. And uh, Tom, to me, that just added a whole other element of this stretch that the Red Sox were on beginning in 2004 uh, up until you know about 2018, where it seemed like they had the upper hand. And that just wrote a whole new chapter in this great rivalry between the two. And I think the thing that speaks volumes about this rivalry, much to the effect of like we mentioned with Federer and Nadal, is that if you're a casual baseball fan, if the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing in a meaningful series in the ALCS or even the ALDS, you're going to watch. You want to see what these two put together. The talent that's come through over the years uh, from the likes of Derek Jeter to Big Poppy to Manny Ramirez, A-Rod, Roger Clemens, uh, Pedro Martinez, just to name a few. Uh, this rivalry never disappoints, and it's really special when they meet in the postseason. Uh, I like that at number three, what you had there. Um, I do have that on my list, but I have it a little bit higher. Uh, I got OU Texas number three on my list. For all the reasons that we mentioned, how unique it is, um, there's nothing like it. Nothing in college football compares to OU Texas. I'll put it number three. Number two, Tom, uh, this one is more of a nod to the older generation. We've seen a little bit of it, but not like the history that these two teams have. Um, the two most successful franchises in the NBA, the Lakers and the Celtics. It seemed like they met every year uh, almost for the championship when you talked about, you know, in the days of the 70s and the 80s. Uh, a lot of titles between these two teams. A lot of great players between these two teams. They owned the NBA for quite some time. And the, even more recently, they had uh, two different times where they played each other in the finals in the 2000s. Uh, you know, of course, the first title for the Big Three and then Kobe's uh, fourth championship that he picked up of his career uh, he was able to do so against that uh, Celtics big three. So I got to go Lakers-Celtics, and a lot of that just has to do, goes back to the history of just how dominant these two teams are 
far superior than anybody else in the NBA. And so I think, Jones, our top two are going to be flip-flop because I'm going to go with probably your first pick here, and it's going to be Ohio State Michigan for my number two. Uh, hasn't, you know, Michigan almost hasn't held up to their end of the bargain here lately. I mean, they've had a few here and there, but essentially it's been all Ohio State. But uh, just that rivalry in general might be the greatest in all of college football right now even still um so my number two will be ohio state michigan okay and uh, number one i got yankees red Sox, and so is one for you lakers celtics it is it is for those reasons you mentioned and just for the history between those and all the championships combined uh lakers celtics takes my number one and, and what's cool about the lakers celtics thing to show how good the lakers and celtics rivalry is is the fact that they could be in different conferences and to meet as many times as they've had over the years, to have as many meaningful games, to not be in the same conference, to not be in the same division, that says a lot about just how good those two teams have been in their history together. So to review, here's my list. Number one, Yankees-Red Sox. Number two, Lakers-Celtics. Number three, OU Texas in football. Number four, Duke in North Carolina in college basketball. Five, Alabama LSU in football. Six, Steelers Ravens. Seven, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Eight, Packers Bears. Nine, Federer and Nadal. And ten, Tiger and Phil. Tom, go through your uh, top ten one more time if you would. So I'm going to swap out my Cowboys Redskins for UNC Duke. But number one, Lakers Celtics. Number two, Ohio State, Michigan. Number three, Yankees, Red Sox. Number four would have been UNC, Duke. Number five, Real Madrid versus Barcelona. Number six uh, would have been Bama, Auburn. Number seven, Packers, Bears. Uh, Number eight, OU, Texas. Number nine, uh, I guess I had OU, Nebraska in there. Number 10 would have been... Federer and Nadal. I like that we got creative, that we had golf and tennis and soccer mentioned within this list. Um, that we were a little diverse in this and that we went college and professional. Um, and uh, obviously, Tom, we missed on, uh, you know, uh, of course, the real number one would be Jinx and Union. Yeah, and it's always <laughs> Jinx Union. The Backyard Bowl. I don't think the I've backyard actually... Bowl. I don't think I've actually been to the Backyard Bowl, to be honest. I've always talked about going, but I've never been. Now, it seems that Owasso has taken their claim, and uh, you could even say Bixby in there. Yeah. I I love a good high school rivalry. Um, You know, it's great to see the whole community involved. And uh, Jinx and Union, uh, that takes the cake there in the Tulsa area. That's the best high school rivalry in the country. Um, And... You know, we're, we're not including high schools, but if, if high schools were a part of the discussion, that would be number one, I think, uh, between those two. But there you have it. Those are our list uh, for best sports yeah, rivalries. Rest in, rest in peace, Alan Trimble. Yes, R.I.P. Oklahoma coach ever. What a legend. Uh, no doubt about it. One of the greatest high school football coaches of all time. Before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And, uh, Tom, we are uh, going to feature – uh, one of the best sports broadcasters in the country. He has uh, been offered an opportunity 
uh, of employment during the quarantine. Uh, tell us about this uh, this story here. So we all know who Joe Buck is. Uh, I mean, great NFL broadcaster. I mean, we've seen him all over. We know him, love him. So, you know, during this quarantine, people get creative and people get risque. And so, you know, we're going to go and do a little bit something different. And Joe Buck said, uh, today, the 17th day of April in the year 2020, I became the first sports announcer to ever reject a seven-figure offer from a porn site. At Michelle Besner, I want this on my headstone. The above claim is not fact-checked. Michelle responded, of all the offers you've turned down to keep your day job bug, this is this one not only hurts the most, but I also had the most potential epic fail. Also goes on, Darren Ravel said a porn site says we'll pay Joe Buck one million to announce his camp shows live. The site says it's also accepting applications from other national and local sports commentators. Joe responded, depending on the site, they could just be handing some of my money back to me. So I'll hold out for a better offer and try to hold on to my day job. But I have to say, I'm flattered. Uh, TMZ had also reported Joe Buck rejects $1 million porno play-by-play offer. Stick to my day job, he says. Uh, Jones, $1 million is a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, if he does this play-by-play, though... For one million, I don't think he ever gets a chance to go back. To no, the he could never live this down. I already have a name for him, though. It would be very easy if he's doing this. He would have to replace the B in his name with an F. Oh yeah, he would. It would. It would that would be. That would be the easiest porn star change name known to man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I would have to think that uh, you'd have to go back to that that uh, Vikings Packers game a couple years ago and use that Joe Buck call when he says uh, that is a disgusting act. <laughs> right. I mean, that would have to be one of his his punchlines. Right. When uh, when Randy Moss was uh, mooning the uh, Packer fans, classic moment. Um, you know, that's that's my one of my favorite all-time things ever that's ever happened in the NFL. Yeah, that was good. And, that's, uh, that's still to this day one of my favorites. And Joe's overreaction. I like Joe. I think he's one of the best in all of sports, but it was a little much, uh, his reaction that day uh, when he said that. I would think, uh, you know, of other announcers, because they've opened this up to, you know, sportscasters around the country they are looking to do this national broadcasters and local broadcasters. Um, The first name that comes to mind is Mike Breen, for obvious reasons. The fact that every time somebody hits a three, he says, bang, that would be very easy for Mike Breen to jump in and do that. Right, or from downtown. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I think Mike Breen would never. You also mentioned Jim Nance. Hello, friends. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be something special. Oh my gosh, uh, that would be that'd be great. Uh, now I, I got to think the the guy most likely to do this 
This is pretty easy, Tom. It's got to be Marv Albert, right? Oh, you would think so. <laughs> I can see. Could you could you imagine Lou Holtz? <laughs> Wholesome Lou Holtz trying to do that. Uh, what about uh, what about John Madden? John Madden would be great. I mean, he would be. I don't know if he's too far gone in it now. I wonder how old John Madden is. I'd like to see Dickie V do something like that with an oh baby. That's awesome, baby. He's a PT peer. Right? <laughs> right? That would be something else. I think, uh, I think Gus Johnson would be interesting. He has a rising fire call, getting excited at everything. Right. I mean, that would be, I, I think it said anybody else interested, like national local commentators, they would be taking applications. Jones, for a million dollars, would you do it? At this point in my career, I don't know how I could say no. I don't think I have the leverage right now to be able to just turn down that type of money. A million dollars. I mean, that would be something else. It would be it would be like me DJing at a strip club. You, and, and you would do that I, for a million, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Right, uh, a million dollars. I could say I could not say no because I don't have the leverage right now to say no, because uh, no one's offering me that type of money. Uh, newsflash, and so I could not pass on that for that amount. Later on in my career, uh, when hopefully one day I'm making you know six figures and such, then I could have the leverage to say no. But right now, I don't have that type of leeway to be able to turn that down. Another name would be interesting is uh, Kevin Harlan. This guy has done play-by-play of streakers on the field, a cat running on the field. Um, you know, Harlan's one of the best out there, and he's particularly good at radio and describing things in detail. Um, it might get a little too detailed if Kevin Harlan did it. Yeah, that would be interesting, though. I would... I couldn't say I wouldn't tune in if Kevin Harlan was doing play-by-play for that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine Chris Collinsworth uh, being the color commentator and being like, now now here's a guy. <laughs> no, I couldn't. No. Would, could you imagine? Uh, <laughs> he slides since in. Since we talked about the draft, Todd McShane, Mel, Mel Kuyper Jr., Oh, doing doing the draft of that, and you know th- this guy, you know he's he's a high high level performer. You know he's got a lot of energy. Yeah, big jump. What is it? <laughs> big jump, top speed, great route runner. <laughs> Has a lot of heart. <laughs> right? Oh gosh. He shows it every I given gonna, night. <laughs> someone's gonna take that money. They and have we're gonna to be able to take it. I feel like, uh, you know, th- this would be, if we're getting beyond the sports announcer world, maybe it's just like characters or actors, this seems like the type of thing that would be right up Dwight Schrute's alley. Yeah, it definitely would. Dwight, that would be something else, really. What about uh, what about Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson doing this? I don't th- feel like there'd be a whole lot of words said. No, no, I, I don't... I would rather have Tom Haverford. I'm and sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, that would be uh, that'd be really good. 
Uh, we'll see if anybody takes uh, somebody up on this, uh, if they would do it. Uh, Tom, uh, this would be something I'm sure you would do. Could you do this well? You know what? I don't know. For a million dollars, I would try. <laughs> would you be better at calling? Would you be better at calling this or a game? You think? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe equal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would have to be intoxicated for one of them. <laughs> oh my gosh! Maybe for both. Right. Uh. I feel like Dan Fouts, who just got fired by from CBS, actually, um, he would still say the same stupid stuff that he says on the NFL broadcast. Yeah, probably. I'd like to see maybe Travis Meyer try his hand at it. <laughs> the the porn stash does a, a a porn broadcast. Oh, good lord! Do, do you have Bill O'Reilly? Okay, I got one to top them all. Ron Burgundy. Yeah, that that would be the one. We have found Will our guy. Ferrell, we need Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy. Um, maybe we can even throw in some champ kind of a few whammies here and there. Um, but this seems like the event that that Ron Burgundy was born to do. Yeah, Jonesy would. Either Ron Burgundy or Harry Carey. His renditions of both uh, would be perfect for this. <laughs> Ron Burgundy, uh, you know, Harry Carey. How about Harry Carey uh, using the words to take me out to the ball game to this? I bet you, you could come up with an interesting rendition. That would be really something else. One, two, that, three strikes, you're out. <laughs> three strikes, you're out. Yeah, that would have to be, I mean, logistically, if this was to happen, this would get, I mean, this would blow up. Yeah, uh, I don't want Bob Minnery or any of these, you know, comedians. Uh, I want it to be like, you know, an actual play-by-play guy or an actor. And uh, I won't watch. Uh, I don't Booger need to... McFarland. Oh, Booger, Booger would find a way to get it all wrong. He would say that they need to take a knee on fourth down. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Could you imagine the Booger Bill Bill pulling up to the set? <laughs> I think the Booker Mobile might just crash on set. Oh, God, that would be something else. I think it's going to happen one way or another. They're going to find somebody. Yeah. So our, our all-star team, we're, we're, we're choosing um, Ron Burgundy to do play-by-play. Uh, and then on the color commentary... Uh, I'm going with Dickie V and Booger McFarlane as my as my team I've assembled, my three announcers. Tom, you can pick, a, a, let's say, two or three guys. You have to narrow this down. Who's going to be your team? Oh, it's going to be Dickie V, Kevin Harlan, and Ron Burgundy. That's dynamic. Uh, that would be you can't miss. Uh, one more. I got another one for you. I can't believe we didn't bring him up earlier. Charles Barkley would be great. That's just terrible. Oh my just terrible. Man, knucklehead, knucklehead, knucklehead. <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, and Shaq, we already can't understand him now. Like he would just be mumbling the entire time. Yeah, that would be. He would be the actor. <laughs> no one wants to see that either. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's good. 
That's good. On that note, we uh, got to get out of here. Big thanks to Ben Albright for joining us talking NFL draft. Uh, that was a lot of fun today. Uh, and we'll continue our power ranking series next week and uh, have some more rankings for you. So that'll be coming up uh, on the program then. And uh, make sure to subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, uh, at Insta Thomas, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. For Ben Albright and Thomas Bridges, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.